Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Zach Montroy. Zach is the founder and CEO at The Intention Collective and a leadership team coach with over 20 years of experience in executive roles. Zach's passion for helping leaders expand their impact and build trust has led him to focus his efforts on helping entrepreneurs scale and grow their businesses. As a sought-after speaker and podcast guest, Zach is known for his ability to distill complex concepts into actionable insights that help businesses achieve their goals. Thanks so much for joining me today, Zach. Thanks so much for having me, Diane. It's great to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. I think, you know, leadership is such a crucial topic. And with, I'll say everything we've been through probably over the past five years, it, it, it's had its ups and downs and challenges of its own. Um, so talk to me about this concept of brave workplaces. How does someone go about building one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's such an important concept for us as leaders because, you know, as you just said, the ups and downs of, you know, kind of the environment that we've had to lead in over the last number of years, I think really calls us to be vulnerable and courageous as leaders. And, you know, when we talk about brave workplaces, we're talking about places where people can show up and bring all of who they are to work every day. They can show up um, as their wholehearted self. They can bring their unique abilities, their genius, their giftedness, and put that to work in the organization with without fear of you know repercussion from being your wholehearted self. You can you know when we you know even look at the correlation of psychological safety. Uh, and, and the ability for people to put uh, who they are and their genius to work in service to the larger vision and strategy of the, the organization, we see teams who are functioning at much higher capacities, they're getting more work done, and they enjoy the, and enjoy the process, they enjoy um, the work that they're doing and the people that they're doing it with. Yeah, I I think this is so incredibly important and it sort of amazes me that that all workplaces aren't really, you know, haven't quite figured this out. So I let's talk about the flip side of that, which is a toxic mm. work culture. So can you describe for the listeners like what is a toxic 
work culture and and the reasons why it actually sabotages uh, a growth strategy? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, when we think about a toxic workplace, you know, I, I kind of think of, you know, screaming and yelling and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things being thrown at people like, I mean, if you see that, right, like, you know, shame and blame and toxicity are ruling that workplace. But I think oftentimes, toxic workplaces it's sort of like termites, right? Like you, you don't really see, you don't really see termites, but you see the damage that termites are causing to a structure. And eventually if that's left untreated, right? The, the foundation, uh, the, the stability, the structure is going to eventually crumble. And, and so when, when we think, when I think about toxic workplaces, I think, you know, of shame and blame, being used as a management tool, we see back channeling, we see lack of clarity. Um, you know, we see nostalgia, the way things have always been done, um, because people, uh, you know, the, the number one fear in the workplace is the fear of irrelevancy. And so uh, if we don't have a psychologically safe workplace, I'm going to hold on to the way that we've always done things because I'm, I'm fearful that I'm going to be irrelevant. I'm not going to be able to learn the new thing. Um, you know, we see, you know, passive aggressiveness, the, you know, the cool kids table, the uncool kids table, lack of innovation, um, you know, a lack of clarity really driving how the organization is run on the day to day. And so, I mean, I think those are some, I think, very, very prevalent, uh, prevalent signs to me that, that we've got a major problem on our hands. Boy, I'll tell you what, I just had a big aha because I did not realize that one of the struggles with embracing change is the fear of irrelevancy. That's fascinating to me. Absolutely. And we see it all the time in organizations. And oftentimes that fear of change really comes down to deep down personally I'm fearful that if we, you know, make this change, we embrace this new technology, we embrace this new way of doing things, that I'm not going to be good at this anymore. I know that I'm good at XYZ. I've done XYZ for a number of years. uh, But if I have to learn this new thing, if we do this thing a new way, I'm going to be exposed. I'm going to be, you know, uh, vulnerable and put out there. And if we don't have a safe environment for people to take those risks and to learn, what do we do? We're we're creating this unsafe environment. And then I'm, you know, I'm not going to be relevant anymore. I'm not going to be needed. And now I I don't feel safe. So I'm going to hold on to the way things I've always done, you know, the way that I've always done things because there's not a safe environment for me to stretch and grow and learn something new. Wow, that just makes so much sense to me when you say that 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 is so interesting. So how does someone then build trust within their organization? It's a great question. And I think uh, I always go back to John Gottman's work. And John Gottman is a relationship psychologist who's, you know, just done work, amazing work over the span of 30, 40 years. 
And he talks a lot about trust in relationships. And I think there's a lot of implication to the work environment. And one of the things that he says that I, I, that just sort of is permanently tattooed in my mind is every opportunity is either a moment to build trust or to decay trust. There's, mm-hmm. there's no in between. Every moment, every interaction that we have with people is either a moment where we are building trust and we're in what's interesting about that trust bank account is we can make really small deposits. Um, there's nothing that we can do that sort of sweepingly builds trust. We can't, you know, put hundreds of thousands of trust dollars in that account. But on the flip side, we can make huge withdrawals. You know, I do something uh, to you that that feels unsafe. I back channel. Um, you know, I I do something that decays trust. I can sweepingly take all the trust, all those trust dollars out of that account. So, in 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 trust is is hard because I think it's one of those really gauzy terms, right? Like either you trust someone or you don't. And I love the way that Brene Brown has, uh, she has this trust acronym. It's called Braving Trust. And she talks about the, the behaviors that, that we need to be pursuing to operationally build trust on teams. And it starts with having good and healthy boundaries, being reliable, being accountable, you know, having a vault. I'm not going to say things that are not mine to say. I'm going to keep confidences, uh, integrity non-judgment. I can ask for what I need. You can ask for what you need without fear of judgment. And then generosity, right? I'm going to, I'm going to extend a generous interpretation to the deeds and words of other people that are around me. I think if we start there, we can start building that vulnerability-based trust that is critical if we want to become a high-functioning team. Yeah. I'm, I'm having memories of a meeting I was in and one of the things I said, we were trying to come up with like our agreement, our, our team mm-hmm. agreement. And one of the things that I said was, assume assume the best, mm-hmm. not the worst, right? Because that, that starts you out in a different place automatically. Right. It's interesting why, and, and I'll kind of like reverse interview you here. <laughs> But it's it when when you think about that, when you think about that, even in the context of teams, why do you think we assume the worst? What do you think is behind that for us? Well, they say that humans are hardwired to go to the negative. Hmm. That it goes back to our uh, uh, flight or fight mm-hmm. mode from when we were cavemen, and and everything was a potential danger for us so that we automatically see things negatively. Yeah. Um, which makes it really hard to switch that. I, I think I think something you said about being non-judgmental and you know being curious really goes a long way toward changing that in, in yeah. within an organization. It's it's interesting. I had a coach ask me that question a, a number of years ago, and and she said, you know, by and large, do you feel like people are doing their best? And I was, I mean, I was a hell no. Like people are obviously not doing their best. <laughs> this world would be a much better place if people were right. doing their best. Um, and I asked my wife that question, and she's a clinical therapist, and she thought about it for a while, and she said, 
you know, I my life is a lot better when I can live from the place of assuming people are doing their best. And I'm like, what what does that mean? And she said, you know, when I'm driving home and the person cuts me off or is speeding in traffic, like it doesn't mean I'm just a doormat, but you know, I'm gonna assume like they're doing their best. They're probably like trying to get home to their kids and you know, whatever are running late. Like we've all had those moments. We've all like had the yogurt thrown on us as we were leaving the house from our kids and <laughs> running late and like all disheveled when we come into work and, you know, we're short with someone. If I can assume someone's doing their best, I can go have a follow-up conversation with them. And, you know, that doesn't mean I don't hold people accountable, but it's a much better place to live from. And I, I think you're right. Like if we're hardwired to assume people are doing their worst. What could change? How could teams change? How could the world change if we pivoted that and said, okay, I'm going to assume people are doing their best. It doesn't mean I don't have difficult conversations. It doesn't mean I don't confront things, but I'm not going to start telling myself stories that this person is out to get me, especially if I've got, you know, years of data that's telling me that this person is on my side and they're just maybe having a bad day. Well, and if you think about it, if you assume that they're not doing their best, that they're doing their worst, then what you're pretty much saying is there's no hope here. Mm. What can I do with this person? I can't do anything with this person because they've chosen to do their worst. But if you assume the best, then you start asking yourself, okay, what is going on here? Let me find out what's happening here. Yeah, you get curious instead of judgmental. Yes, right. Yeah, right. that's that's huge. That is yeah. absolutely huge. And I mean, think about how organizations, how teams would be so different, radically different if we were curious instead of judgmental. Because being judgmental just, I mean, like you said, it causes us to go to this place of telling myself crazy ass stories about people that are likely far from the truth because our brain is trying to sense make and trying to make us feel safe. Like going back to that fight, flight, or freeze, your brain's trying to make you feel safe. Our brains are wired for story. Does not matter if the data that our brain is is associating with is true or not true. Our brain's happy. It's rewarding us because we've made sense of the story. We feel safe. The other person's the bad, the bad person. We're the good guy. Um, brain's happy, even though now, you know, now I've got this whole picture of this person that's just crazy and judgmental because I've gone to this place of, of telling myself this really negative story instead of functioning from generosity. Exactly. And I, and I'm not convinced that our brain is happy. Like it, it has an explanation. Right. 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 Right? It's not not a good one. You know, chemically, (laughs) chemically rewarding us. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. That's right. And so um, the other thing I think about in, in regards to this is that when we have these assumptions and we're we're sort of, you know, in, in the negative and, and not really in a positive, brave sort of stance, that the ability to be innovative and improving is really diminished. And and so I'm curious, A, if, if you agree with that, and B, if there are like practical steps you can give the listeners for actually fostering a culture of innovation and continuous improvement within an organization. 
Absolutely. I I do agree with you because I think, you know, when we're functioning from a place of fear, when we're functioning from a place of toxicity, there you you can't get to innovation unless you're okay with failure. You can't get to innovation unless you're okay being curious and unpacking the the issue and the problem and what went wrong and how do we take these learnings forward and not taking forward, oh, this person failed, oh, this person mm-hmm. did a bad job, because nothing innovative ever happened without failure, right? Like it takes yeah. 99 failures to get to the one great thing. And when you look at any great inventor along the way, and, and there was that embracing of vulnerability, there was that embracing of curiosity. And so, you know, when when I think about like, what are the practical steps that teams have to take we we have to make sure that we're fostering open communication with one another. Mm-hmm. We're um, fostering an environment where everyone's ideas and opinions and concerns are validated and they're heard and they're listened to. And that doesn't mean leading by consensus. Um, that means listening and hearing and listening with the same intensity that you want to be heard. And I think mm-hmm. as a leader, explaining um explaining the reasons why we made a decision one of the best leaders i ever worked for um they did not lead by consensus they listened well they asked good questions and then they said all right i've heard everyone here's the decision that we're going to make and here's how we're all going to be committed to this and walk out of the door with agreement and here's why i made the decision um, they listened well, they gave feedback, but they explained why. So we understood, okay, this is their thinking and understanding. And, you know, we can get on board with that. I think too, there's, you know, encouraging experimentation and celebrating failure. I love in Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, she talked about, I can't remember what company it was a Silicon Valley company that she was working with. And, there was just, you know, they needed to innovate, but there was this great sense of it's not okay to fail on the team. And so they had a week, like it was kind of cheesy, but they had this weekly reward for whoever failed the best and whoever kind of explained their best learnings from that failure. Um, and I think like, that's amazing, right? We we yeah. have to learn from failure and, uh, you know, not only embrace that, but talk about it and be okay with it. And as leaders, we have to talk you know vulnerably about our own failures our own learnings and where we're experimenting and growing uh, we can't foster an environment that we aren't willing to participate in yeah no kidding uh, that is it's reminding me uh I, my sister told me years ago she, she said when you're working with clients when you can, one of the best ways to be able to relate to what they're going through is to be able to share with them what you went through. Mm -hmm. And I do that a lot in my trainings where I will tell a story about something I experienced and learned from because it, I think, you know, it helps the other people realize, okay, well, it's not just me. And this person really does understand this so they can hear more. And I love what you said about leaders being able to explain and needing to explain why they make the decisions that they make. It's it, because then it doesn't feel arbitrary. 
Right. 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 People don't like arbitrary. Mm-mm. No, I mean, we, we don't like it. And yet I think so many leaders do that. And we just make assumptions that everyone gets it. Everyone yes. understands why. And I mean, the thing that I say to leaders all the time, I have never come across feedback uh, of a leader or feedback of a team or organization that says they communicate the why too much. I have never in my life <laughs> seen that feedback. And the day that it happens, I'm going to, you know, get a cake and celebrate, right? Because we think, you know, we've, we, people get it. People, you know, we make all kinds of assumptions all day, every day, and they don't get it. They don't understand the why. And, you know, they're not asking, which is also a problem. But as leaders, we're not leading the way in explaining it. Um, how can, how are you going to get someone to own something that you are not providing deep clarity for and, right. and helping you understand the why behind? Okay, so so in line with that, provide the listeners some ideas around how leaders can effectively communicate their vision. Yeah, that's what man. That's a that is a whole. That's a that's yeah. a can of worms. I well, I th- <laughs> this this may sound really really s- silly, but I think they need to understand it first. They need to have deep clarity on it first and foremost. And I think that that, you know, that sounds like table stakes. That sounds like permission to play as a leader. But I I mean, I work with leaders all day, every day that, you know, if you sit down with them and say, what, what's your, what's three, five year picture? What's the vision? What are you hoping to accomplish? In their mind, I think they would say like, I get it. I have vision. I, you know, I'm driving us to X, Y, Z. But when you start unpacking it, there really is a lot of ambiguity. So I think for the leader, there has to be a deep level of clarity and understanding where are we going? What is what's the destination? Why are we going there? What's in it for your team? Um, Why are you asking them to give the majority of their waking hours to this? What's in it for them? What are we best in the world at? What are we pursuing here? Why are we pursuing that? So I think when they get clarity on, you know, what what's that sort of destination point in the future, then we really start to be able to reverse engineer that and say, okay, if that's where we want to be in five or 10 or three, whatever the, the year number of years out is, we start to get clarity on that. We start to really paint a picture of what is this? What's What does done look like here? What does the, the painting look like? you know, what's the, what was it going to cost us? What's the consequence of not doing this? What's the consequence of getting this wrong? You know, what's the connective tissue here? And for, for leaders, that connective tissue for their team is helping each person. And I think this is a responsibility of leaders to help each person understand and embrace their unique ability, their unique genius, their distinctive uh, ability and then help them connect the dots, help them understand how their genius, their ability is, is being, is going to be put to use in helping us get to that destination. Uh, I think it starts with that deep clarity for leaders on understanding the destination, reverse engineering the plan helping each person understand how they put their skills and genius to work. 
And then it, what we do with teams is start to work in 90-day sprints uh, to really executing on that vision because we can, as I think as humans, our brains are wired to be able to think in that uh, sort of uh, framework. What do I need to get done? What's the most important? What are the most important strategic items uh, to move us forward in you know charting a path towards that future destination? That's awesome. I I really, I mean, honestly, Zach, this whole conversation has been awesome. I love everything that you've shared. I get it. It makes so much sense. And and I would submit that technically this is easier than not doing these things and having to deal with the repercussions. I agree. And it is, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I I always think about it like working out. I, I don't enjoy it whatsoever. I don't think I will ever enjoy working out, but the benefits of it, right. The benefits of, of working out, make it worth getting up early in the morning to do, to live a longer life, a healthier, happier life, to be more enjoyable to being around. But I think it, it kind of comes down to, uh, and I heard someone say this once, you just have to embrace the suck, right? Like it, <laughs> it's not really that fun. It's not fast. It's not easy. It's hard work. But in the end, you have a, a you know, if we use the like a boating analogy, we're we're all rowing in the same direction, yeah. and we can enjoy doing that together because we have that clarity, unity. Um, in cohesion together as a team. And I, I agree with you. I think it's a much more enjoyable place to be as a leader as well. Absolutely. I, I absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for this conversation. Will you tell the listeners how they can find you, please? Absolutely. Our uh, website is intentioncollective.co. You can find us there or on LinkedIn, Zachary Montroy or the Intention Collective on LinkedIn. We've got a lot of resources on our website and on LinkedIn for business leaders. We'd love to uh, meet up with you there. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics and hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners 
listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.